The first thing I want to point out to you, it's in your bulletin, lesson number one. Suffering and trials are not always the result of sin. Suffering and trials are not always a result of sin. These, eight, these six verses that we read about Job's life give us a great insight into who Job was. The Bible says that he was blameless. He feared God. So tells us that he was concerned about the spiritual well-being of his kids. It said that he would go and he would, he would hold burnt offerings for his children just in case they sinned. He said this was a regular custom for Job. Job didn't know he had his kids sinned or not, but just in case, he was going to hold these burnt offerings for them to cover their sin. Just in case they sinned, Job was truly a godly man leading his family well. You go on and continue in chapter 1. In verse 6, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. We get a very interesting piece of scripture here. We see God and Satan having this dialogue. Okay, it's a very interesting passage of scripture. God and Satan are having this conversation. Satan approaches God, and they're having this conversation. And Satan isn't the one who brings Job up. Listen to what it says here. God is the one who brings Job up. It says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? But listen to what God says about him. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, I'll be honest with you. I would love for the Lord to say that about me, wouldn't you? For God to say... If you see my servant Ryan, man, he loves me more than he loves anything else. Man, he serves me with everything he has. Have you considered him? What a compliment. What a testimony to Job's life. There's no one on earth like Job. Job, if you want to say he was the man spiritually speaking. Okay, Job had, it, Job had figured it out, okay? He'd cracked the code, if you will. He was blameless. He feared God. He loved God. He was prospering both financially. He was prospering spiritually. But he was about to endure a disaster that very few will ever feel in their life. See, this is the problem where most of us, that most of us have with the book of Job. See, most of us, when we read the book of Job, we read it from a very human perspective. We assume this. If we do good, then good things will happen. Right? That's how most of us pretty much feel about our lives. If we do good, then good things have to happen. And if we do bad, then bad things have to happen. That's how many of us view the book of Job. And that's why we struggle so much with it, because we assume good things happen, we do good things, good things happen, we do bad things, bad things happen. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? We're about to see that's not the way it worked out in Job's life. Remember when Braden was diagnosed? I remember praying just privately. And I went back and looked at my, my prayer journals. And I remember asking the question, God, point out the sin in my life. God, show me where I've sinned. God, show me where I failed you. Show me what I've done wrong. God, why? I know my son, he, he, he's not the best kid in the world, but I know he hasn't done anything to deserve this. So God, show me what have I done wrong. God, point out to me my sin. Point out to me my fault. 
because I really wanted to believe there had to be a reason, right? We all want to believe that in our life. There has to be a reason. There has to be a why behind it. We all want to know the why. We desperately seek for the why. We desperately seek for the reason. And when we do that, many times it leads us down a very bad road because when we don't see the why just very plainly, we immediately assume it's because we've done something wrong. We immediately assume it's because we've messed up. And that's where I was living when it came to my son, Braden. I just assumed I must have done something wrong, but we have to understand this. Trials and sufferings are not, are not always the result of sin. In Job's case, it certainly was not. But here's the difficult part. We may never understand the why. We may never grab a hold of the why. I would love to tell you that I understand the why behind everything that has happened in my life. I would love to tell you that I understand the why behind my mother's death. I don't. I don't understand the why. But I'm reminded of a promise in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles. Now listen to this, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We may not understand the why of every trial that we encounter, but we are given this promise that the fact that God will comfort us through those trials and he comforts us so we in turn can comfort others with the comfort we are, ourselves have received. We may not always understand the why, but we can trust in the fact that God is there and he will comfort us. Comfort us. Let's continue with Job. So Satan and God continue to have this discussion about Job, this discourse. And God just told Satan exactly how he feels about Job. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears me. And then Satan goes, he only does those things because you've blessed him. He only serves you because you've blessed him. He looks at God and says, if you would allow me to take everything away from him, I promise you he'll curse you. So what does God do? God says, okay, go ahead. He basically says, you can do whatever you want to to Job. You just can't harm him physically. God gives permission for Satan to run havoc in Job's life. So this is what happens. Job is out in his field and one of his servants comes up to him and says, you're not going to believe this. All of your oxen, all of your donkeys were stolen and they killed all your servants. I'm the only one left. Well, that's bad news. It's bad news for Job. It doesn't stop there. Another servant comes up and says, all your camels were stolen and all your servants killed. I'm the only one left. Still, more bad news, but it gets even worse. Another servant comes up to him and says, Job, a mighty wind came in and collapsed your son's house. All your kids were in there, and they've all died. Every single one of them, God. Every single one of them, Job, they're all gone. I'm the only one left. So in a matter of a few minutes... Job loses everything. 
He loses all of his financial gain. He loses his kids. He loses everything except for his wife at this moment. But look at Job's response. Job chapter 1 verse 20. It says, at this, or at this news, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. And listen to what he says. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Lesson number two. We have to allow our suffering to push us closer to God. We have to allow our suffering to push us closer to God. I really believe these few verses we just read are so misunderstood in Scripture. I believe some of the most misunderstood verses. Because I think when we read them, we think Job got this terrible news that he lost everything, got this terrible news that all of his kids have died. So then the first thing he does is pull out a guitar and just sing Good, Good Father. I mean, I think that's kind of the way we read it because it says that he worships. So we just assume that Job immediately hit his knees and just said, God, you're so amazing. But that wasn't what Job did. What did Job do? The first thing Job did was he mourned. He grieved. This hit Job hard. He mourned, he grieved, and in the midst of that mourning and grief, he allowed it to push him closer and closer to God. See, when we encounter trials in our life, it's going to do one or two things. It's either going to pull us away from God, or it's going to push us closer to God. And Job allowed this horrible news that he received, this trial, this suffering, to push him closer and closer to God. See, we have to understand this, is that God had made us very real with some very real emotions. And I think the worst thing that we can do when we encounter a trial or we encounter any type of suffering in our life is to say, I'm okay. But that's many times our go-to. Something happens and someone says, how are you doing? And we're just, we kind of like, I'm doing okay. I'll be okay. I've got it together. And the worst thing we can do is try to act like we're strong in the midst of our suffering and our trial. That's the worst thing we can do. See, that's not what Job did. Job didn't say, I've got it all together, folks. It's going to be okay. Praise the Lord. No, Job has said that he tore his robe and he shaved his head. Those were all signs of mourning and grief. And he grieved, but he allowed that grief to push him closer and closer to God. He had his questions. And if you read through the book of Job, you'll see Job had a lot of questions for God. We're going to see some of those questions here in a little bit. He had a lot of questions he questioned, but through his sadness, his anger, he allowed all those emotions to push him closer to God, not further away. See, the best thing we can do when we encounter a trial or suffering is admit the fact that we're not okay and admit the fact that we're struggling. That's the best thing we can do is to say, I'm not okay. But then say, God, I desperately need you. God, in the midst of this trial right now, I need you. God, I'm having a very difficult time seeing you right now in the midst of this trial. I'm having a difficult time understanding where you're at, God. I'm having a difficult under time, time understanding the why behind this. But God, I'm not okay and I need you. That's what Job did. When it said he worshiped, that's exactly what Job did. He allowed that grief to push him closer and closer to God. 
I have not always done this perfectly. As a matter of fact, I still sometimes struggle with this. But a year ago at Beast Feast, this is when we're in the midst of going through daily seizures with Braden. And I remember sitting at Beast Feast and I remember just being overcome with emotion because I didn't know if God was going to heal my son. That was my prayer that God would heal him, but I didn't know. But this whole time, I'd really, I'd really fought with God. And at times, I'd even said, God, I'm serving you. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing, but yet you allowed this to come into my life. And at Beast Feast last year, I came to a point, and I can remember very, very vividly in my mind saying this. God, I know that you can heal my son. I know you can. But even if you don't, I will still serve you. God, I know you have the power. But even if you don't, I will still serve you. And God reminded me of the children of Israel when they walked around the walls of Jericho. Remember how many times God told them to walk around? For seven days, right? All day long for seven days. And God reminded me, what if they would have quit on the sixth day? What if they would have just said, I'm tired. I can't walk anymore. God, we're walking and you're not doing anything. God, we look foolish walking around this wall. You're not doing a thing. What if they would have quit on the sixth day? Day seven never would have happened and the walls never would have came down. God reminded me of that and I said, okay, God, I'm not quitting. Psalms 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Allow your disaster, allow your trial, your suffering to push you closer and closer to God. Don't give up on your faith. As we lean into our faith during these difficult times, as we lean into our faith during times of suffering, we will find out this. We will find out the fact that God is there. In the midst of our trial, in the midst of our suffering, God has never left us. As we step away, as we back away from things, we look and we feel much very isolated and very alone in the midst of our trial. But as we lean into our faith, as we lean into God, we understand the fact that God has never left. God is always there. I saw this quote last night. It says this, God has never said that you will not go through the valley of the shadow of death. But he has said that he will go with you. God did not promise us a trouble-free life. Matter of fact, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you are going to have some hardship. But then he says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So allow our suffering to push us closer and closer to God. Well, Job's life isn't, Job's story isn't quite done yet. After he's now lost everything, Satan now has another conversation with God. And God asked Satan the same question, have you considered my servant Job? Matter of fact, look at chapter 2. It's not on your screen, I'm just going to read it for you. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Then Satan says, oh yeah, he's still serving you. 
because you haven't let me touch him physically. Let me touch him physically and he'll curse you. God, let me have free reign on him. And I promise you, you'll see he's not such an upright and blameless man. So God says, okay. He says, you can do anything you want to to Job. You just can't kill him. Goes inflicting with whatever you want to inflict him with, you just can't kill him. So Satan walks away, and Satan's feeling pretty good. The Bible says that Satan stricken Job with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. It says they were so painful that he would take broken pieces of pottery and just scrape his skin to try to find some sort of relief from these boils. As a matter of fact, Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, his wife decides to be super encouraging to him. <laughs> his wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Real encouraging, wasn't that, fellas? And listen to Job's reply. You are talking like a foolish woman. Gentlemen, I would suggest you never say that to your wives. <laughs> But then he says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Satan hit him with everything. Everything he got. And at the end, even his wife says, will you just curse God already and die? And he says, are we only supposed to accept good things from God, just the blessings from God? He goes, no. And he maintained his integrity. And all this he did not sin in what he said. Lesson number three and the last one. Just because God is silent does not mean he is absent. Just because God is silent does not mean he's absent. Job had lost everything. And you would have thought that through all this, Job had probably had some sort of a private conversation with God, right? You would assume that God came down and told Job, Job, don't worry about this. Don't stress out. It's all going to be okay. I've got this under control. But you never see this in Scripture. As a matter of fact, God is completely silent throughout the majority of the book of Job. 42 chapters, and God doesn't say a word until chapter 38. Job didn't know it was all going to work out. Job didn't know any of these things, okay? He was not privy to the plan of God. But Job understood this, that God's silence does not equal God's absence. And this is a hard lesson for us because many of us feel like in our life, almost like we're playing hide and seek with God. Does that make sense? It almost seems like that's what God is playing with us. He, we're playing hide and seek. We're praying to God, we don't hear anything. We're looking for God, we can't seem to find him. And we almost feel like we're just playing this game of hide and seek, and God is the ultimate hider, and we're never going to be able to find him. We're never going to be able to catch up to him. But his silence does not mean that he's absent. God is very much present in our lives. What I have found is in the times of silence, God is preparing us for something pretty amazing. It's in those times of silence that God is preparing us for our breakthrough. Think about the life of Moses. Moses knew he was supposed to be the God to deliver the children of Israel. And he tried to do it his own way. 
He tried to take it into his own hands and ended up killing a guy because of it. And then he spent years out in the desert and heard nothing. Just silence. And then finally, God shows up, doesn't he? God speaks to Moses. And then we get into where Moses leads the children out of Israel. Sometimes it's in the times of silence. God is preparing us for a breakthrough. Job said it this way in chapter 13. It says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Job is saying, My hope isn't in my circumstances. My hope doesn't depend on my life being good. My hope doesn't depend on everything in my life working out according to my plan. My hope doesn't rest in my job. My hope doesn't rest in my spouse. My hope, my hope does not rest in my bank account. My hope rests solely on the Lord. And because of that, I can know that he is still good even when my circumstances are not good. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, Ryan, this is Job. There's a book written about him. Okay, he was a spiritual man. I'm not that spiritual. I don't think I could take the same stance that, that Job took. But I think sometimes what we miss when we preach over the book of Job, the problem is it's 42 chapters. You can't preach over 42 chapters in, in one sermon. So we miss a lot of the times of questioning in Job's life. I want to point out a few to you. Job chapter 3. After everything has happened to Job, he loses everything. His wife tells him to curse God and die. Job prays. Listen to what Job says. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? What was Job saying? I'd been better off if I wasn't even born. I'd been better off if I wasn't even here. Then I wouldn't have to be enduring. I wouldn't have to be going through what I'm going through. Job chapter 7. In verse 7, he says, Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. This is the same Job who said, Blessed be the name the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Now he's saying, God, I'm never going to see happiness again. God, I am stuck with dealing with this trial. Verse 20 says, If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who see everything that we do, why have you made me your target? Why have I become a burden to you? This is Job. He's saying, God, I'm never going to see happiness again. God, why have you made me your target? God, why are you going after me? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt, God, why me? Why am I going through this? Job did. Job 23, verse 8 and 9 says, But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Sounds like Job is playing hide and seek, doesn't it? Sounds like he is looking for God, but he's not seeing him. <clears throat> through his trial, through his suffering, he is trying to see God and he's really struggling to see him. So I said for 38 chapters, God is silent. How difficult must this have been for Job? 
See, I think sometimes the difference between us and Job, when we're encountering a difficult time and a trial, we have a body of believers, a church to go to, right? We come in and we can worship and we can sing and we can be uplifted. Job is all by himself, except for four people. His wife who said, curse God and die. And then three friends who were constantly telling them, this is your fault, this is your fault, this is your fault. But through all that, Job remembers in chapter 19 that God's silence doesn't mean his absence. Look at Job 19, verses 25 and 26. Great verses. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Job says, I know who I hope in. I know my circumstances aren't pleasant, but I know who I hope in. And then at the end of Job chapter 42, verse 12, it says, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. Did you hear that? Through all that Job lost, God gave him more. Said he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And I love verse 13. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Job had a family again. God restored everything back to Job. Job understood that God's silence didn't mean God's absence. Before we wrap up today, I want to make sure that we understand something. Our life isn't a set of random occurrences. It's so easy for to think that our life is just random. That the things that happen in our life are just random. They just happen. Our life isn't a set of random occurrences. And our God isn't a God who created us and then took a hands-off approach to our life. Nor is our God a God who sits up there with his finger on a red button and waits for us to mess up so he can press that red button and curse us in some way. Neither one of those is who God is. But rather, everything that Job encountered, the good and the bad, directly went through the fingertips of God. And through that, Job knew that although his circumstances were not good, God was still good. A couple next steps for us. One, allow your trials to push you closer to God. Number two, don't mistake his silence for his absence. Would you bow your heads with me?